Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. There are so many great things going on at Collective right now, so make sure you are following us on social media at My Collective Church to stay in the loop. Now let's get into Sunday's message. So this past week, my wife Ray and I got to be part of the New Church Leaders Summit that takes place in Estes Park, Colorado. And the New Church Leaders Summit is a gathering of the presidents and CEOs of some of the bigger church planning organizations in America. And what they do is they get together every year and they collaborate on starting new churches. And they'll talk about things like why we need to plant more churches or how do we plant better churches or what obstacles are we running into as churches get started. And I was asked to be a part of this this year to share collective story as well as a few lessons that I've learned um, since we launched this church six years ago. And this was a huge honor. These organizations have worked with thousands of church plants and church planters. So it wasn't lost on me uh, really how big of a deal this was. And while I wasn't confident I should be in a room uh, teaching these leaders, I was very confident in sharing Collective's story. And so there's a few things I want to say to you all before we jump into things today. Um, First is just thank you for being you. Uh, It is a huge honor being your pastor. I've worked at multiple churches, but I've never been a part of a church that is more welcoming or more generous, or to be honest, just more real than you are. And while being a pastor is a super challenging job, um, I know that I'm really lucky that I get to lead this church. Uh, The second thing is I want you all to know that other people and other pastors and other churches are noticing uh, what Collective is doing. And I don't know how they know what we're doing all the way out here in Frederick, um, but they want to know why so much life change is happening here. They want to know why so many people are getting baptized, why, why so many marriages are healing, why people are being honest and real about their brokenness and sharing what God is doing in their lives. They want to know why the church in America is on the decline, but collective is not. Uh, And it's not arrogant to say this because it's true. There are churches all over America that are trying to copy what we do because they want their churches to be like this one. And that is because of you. That that is not because of me. It's because of you. I wouldn't be able to have the honor of sharing this church's story if you all didn't lean in, if you weren't taking next steps, if you didn't fight to heal, if you didn't own your growth, if you didn't trust God, if you didn't care about creating space for lost and broken people to bump into Jesus so their lives could be changed forever as well. And so coming back from this trip, uh, some good perspective on it while being around other church planners. So I just want to say this. I love this church, um, and I'm very thankful for you all. That's all the mushy stuff you're going to get from me today. Words people are like, just keep giving it, right? I'm not a words person in that way, so that made me really uncomfortable. Uh, I appreciate you all. Um, So like I said earlier, I'm very confident in sharing Collective's story, but last Sunday, as I finished typing everything out, um, I really started to get in my own head about all this. And this barrage of thoughts just kept coming and kept crushing me. Thoughts like, why would anybody care what I have to say? What if I don't have what it takes? And these thoughts kept hitting me over and over and over again. When we got on the plane, you aren't good enough. When we landed, what you have to say doesn't matter. When we walked into the conference room for the first time and everybody introduced themselves and talked about their years and years and years of ministry experience, it was, you don't belong in this room. Right? Nothing that you say is going to matter. You're just going to waste everyone's time. 
And for the next few days, I kept battling these thoughts. You aren't good enough. You shouldn't be here. And in the end, you're just going to fail. And do any of you know what that feels like? To be in this battle in your mind where you're constantly fighting thoughts of fear and insecurity and doubt and distrust and anxiety and self-deprecation. If that is you and you struggle with these things, I think you're going to love the next few weeks. Today, we're kicking off a new series called Winning the War in Your Mind. And this series comes from a book that was written by a pastor named Craig Rochelle. Uh, Being a preacher, I don't get the chance every week to sit um, and listen to a pastor who's trying to lead me and trying to help me grow in my faith. So what I do is I personally take time to listen to sermons from other pastors that I respect. And Groeschel is one of those pastors. And when I heard him preach about this back in 2021, it hit me really hard because at that time of my life, I was battling a lot of things mentally and emotionally. And so this book and this series that he preached um, helped me a ton. And my hope is that it helps you as well, especially those of you who would say that you are at war with your thoughts. Also, as a side note, um, I would encourage you if you, over the next few weeks, like really want to keep leaning in to buy the book, um, I do have about 10 copies with me for second service. So first come, first serve, if you want, I'll hand it away um, because they go even deeper than what we're gonna be able to do over the next few weeks. But in this series, what we're gonna do is we're gonna get into the mind of a guy named the Apostle Paul. Paul is one of those famous Christians in the Bible. Originally, he hated Jesus, he hated the church, and he hated everybody who followed Jesus. But then one day, Jesus stopped him in his tracks, right? Jesus spoke to him, Paul was blinded. Um, And in that moment, Paul realized that he made a huge mistake, that Jesus truly is the Son of God. And so Paul turned his life around, right? The word that we use for that is repented. It actually means to change one's mind. He stopped doing what he was doing. He turned toward Jesus. He dedicated his life to Jesus. He got baptized. And so much of the New Testament is written by him and his goal to reach lost people. And so what we know about Paul is that Paul loved Jesus, but Paul also had immense faith. To be honest, he has a faith that's one that we should try to emulate. But while those things are true, he still was at war with his mind. Check this out. He said this in Romans 7, 15. He says, I don't really understand myself for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Right? The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. Right? Does anybody else understand what this is like? Right? This is Paul. And so what we're gonna do over the next few weeks is we're gonna watch uh, and we're gonna read through scripture as Paul progresses through his life in ministry and he learns how to wage war against the lies that attack his mind. And we're gonna watch as he captures the wrong thoughts and he replaces them with the truth of God and ultimately wins the war in his mind. And the hope is that through Paul, we can do the same thing. And here are the main verses that we're gonna look at today. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 10, verse three and four. He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And so he says, though we live in the world, we don't have to fight the wars in our minds the way the world fights because our weapons come from God. They're not earthly weapons. They come with divine power. And that word power comes from the Greek word dunamis, which means the explosive, miraculous power of God. It's where we get the word dynamite from. And so Paul is telling us that we have the opportunity and the ability to fight with weapons that come from God and that these weapons are powerful enough to take down any stronghold. 
Now, a stronghold is essentially a fortress that was built in the middle of a city. It was a defensive structure uh, that would be surrounded by a wall that was 20 feet deep, and it's where military officials would hide during battle to keep safe. So this thing was built to withstand attack, to stop people from getting in. And so here's the reality that we are dealing with right now. We have a spiritual enemy, right? So the devil, the enemy, wants to attack our minds and create strongholds in them of deceptions. Strongholds that are not easily broken. Strongholds that keep these lies walled in. This is what Jesus says about the devil. He says this in John 8, 44. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character for he's a liar and the father of lies. Jesus says that Satan is the creator and curator of the lies that we believe. And then in John 10, 10, Jesus says this, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. And so the lies we believe about ourselves, about God, about the church, about our faith, they come from Satan who is the father of lies. Satan who hates truth and whose purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. To steal, kill, and destroy your faith, your peace of mind, your relationships, your hope, and your joy. Now, uh, as a person, one thing that's true about me is that I am not a big fan of board games. Uh, I'm not, I don't like it if you're like, come over and play board games with us. I'm like, nope, I'm not going to do that. Uh, and the game that frustrates me the most is a game called Settlers of Catan. Have you played this game before? Oh, it's a crowd favorite. So uh, if you haven't played this game before, the goal is uh, you kind of get these resources, you gather them up, then you trade them, things like wheat, lumber, and sheep. And you try to build a civilization, you try to build roads, houses, cities, stuff like that. And I honestly hate this game so much. Um, and, and the thing is, it's not because it's a hard game to play. It's really easy to play. Most of you would probably enjoy it. The reason I hate settlers is because I play with my group of friends and they're just casually trading with everybody else that's playing the game with them, completely ignoring the fact that we are in a competition playing against those other people, right? And so they'll be trading these resources and I'm saying, stop doing that, right? They are your enemy. You are going against them. Ultimately, stop trading them to my wife because I don't want her to win. I don't care if we're married. It doesn't work that way, right? So we play this game. We don't play this game anymore, but when we play this game, every time, stop helping them. Right? You're trying to beat them. Like you're playing against them. Stop helping them reach their goals. I know I'm a ton of fun to play games with. <laughs> but I think this is what Jesus is getting at here. Right? He is saying we are at war and we are fighting against an enemy who hates us. Right? The problem is we act like this isn't true. Right? But Satan, the devil, the thief, the enemy, all the things that he's called in the Bible, whatever you want to call him, he hates you, and his sole purpose is to destroy you. And he will use lies to do that. Right, so what does the devil do? The devil tries to shape our thinking one lie at a time so we are held captive by those lies. And what does he tell you? That you can't trust people, that you'll never succeed, that you're never gonna have a good marriage, that God doesn't hear your prayers, that God doesn't care about you, that you're never going to make a difference, that you're never going to amount to anything. So if you're taking notes, here's the first thing I want you to write down. Our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. What we tend to think comes out in our life. And both science and scripture agree with this. 
Cognitive behavior psychologists have found that a lot of the problems that we face are actually related to wrong thought processes. Some of the relational challenges, some eating disorders, a lot of the addictions that people struggle with, some forms of anxiety are actually a direct result of toxic thinking. That's what science says. Here's what scripture says. Proverbs 23, 7 says, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. The life we have is often a a reflection of the thoughts we think. What we think determines who we become. In other words, if you tend to think you can't do something, that you'll never be good enough, that you don't have what it takes, if you think you can't, you probably won't. If you spend all your time dwelling on your problems, your problems will become your identity and they are going to overwhelm you. If you always act like the victim, you will always be a victim. And in so many cases, the life we have is a reflection of the thoughts we think. So let's do this. Let's, let's take a moment to go through our minds. Groeschel calls this a thought audit. And I'm going to show you three different categories, and I want you to t- determine where you fall on a scale of uh, 1 to 10 um, with your mindset, right? So you're going to audit your thoughts right now. So here's scale 1. So are your thoughts characterized by panic and anxiety? Or would you say that your thoughts are typically characterized by being full of peace? Do you tend to wake up and have your mind drift toward fear? Ultimately, do you think of all the things that could go wrong? I'm worried about my kids or my health or the economy. Do you find yourself more typified and characterized by worry? Or do you find yourself casting your cares upon God and recognizing there is a peace that goes beyond all human understanding? Right? And you know that God and his goodness are with you even when things aren't going the way that you want them to. What would you say on that scale if you were auditing your thoughts? Are you more characterized by worry or by peace? Here's a second one. Do your thoughts drift toward the negative or do they drift toward the positive? Do you wake up and find yourself ne- negative and critical of other people, including yourself? Right? Do you assume the worst instead of believing the best? You wake up in the morning and you say, today is going to be a bad day. I think things are just going to get worse for me. Why, why even try to do the right thing? Or do you wake up understanding that even in trials, Jesus is with you, that he helps you overcome, and that things may be difficult, but you are thankful for a God who is working in all things to bring good to those who he loves? How would you typify your thoughts? Here's the third category. Ask yourself, when it comes to what you think about, are your thoughts more worldly? Are they geared toward the things of this world that are just temporary, or do they drift toward the things that last forever? Now, your thoughts may be more worldly if you wake up concerned with what you have, what you wear, what you look like, who liked your post, how many followers you have, and what everybody thinks about you. Or do they drift toward more eternal things? The reality that God has given you a life to steward and spiritual gifts to use. And what you have is actually to be invested and given to make a difference in the lives of the people around you. And so when everything else fades away, which it will, your life will count eternally. Now, what would you say would characterize your thoughts? On those three scales, where would you be? And are you where you want to be? Because what we think about matters more than we can imagine. What comes into our minds will come out in our lives. No matter what you do or what you have or who you know or what you buy or where you live, you cannot have a positive life when you have a negative mind because your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. So the question that we have to wrestle with right now as we've done this audit is if my life is moving in the direction of my strongest, strongest thoughts, am I excited about the direction my thoughts are taking me? 
Do I like where they are leading me? Do I like where my thoughts are going? I asked myself a similar question in the spring of 2021, uh, and my answer was very clearly no, because I did not like the direction my thoughts were taking me in. Because my thoughts at that time were consumed with negativity and fear and self-doubt and anger and weariness and apathy. This came after the incredibly difficult season of leading collective through the pandemic and our 52 weeks of being online before we moved into this building in March of 2021. And on opening day, which um, should have been a great day, it should have been this huge celebration, uh, we kind of moved into this space and I moved into this space already beat down already tired. And, and I walked in that day and my mind was in overdrive. You know, what if people don't show up? What if I didn't lead well through COVID, which was an impossible thing to even understand? But then my mind kept saying a better leader would have done a better job or, or you could have done even more. And as I was sitting in my office getting ready for service, someone posted on our social media a terrible review of Collective what they did was they intentionally waited until right before our first service together in over a year because they wanted to hurt us. And I think ultimately they wanted to hurt me and my staff. And I did the thing that I shouldn't have done, and I, and I read the review. And the thing is, that if you read it, it's just a lie. It's still up there. You can go and read it after service today if you want. It's garbage. But this was a breaking point for me. I was done. I didn't want to fight this any longer. And I remember getting through opening day uh, and talking to one of my friends about it. And I told him that I wasn't sure that I wanted to keep doing this. Right? That maybe God asked me to lead collective to get us through COVID. And that was kind of the breaking point for me. And it was time to figure out what to do next. And being a good friend that he is, he told me that I was talking from a place called my shadow, that it wasn't God that these were the lies that Satan wanted me to believe, that God wasn't speaking into my life. And then he challenged me as a person to stop being on the defensive with my own pain and my own brokenness and these lies that I couldn't shake and do the work. Because the thing is, I'd been hearing these for years and this was just the boiling point. And one of the things he encouraged me to do was go to a retreat called Crucible. And so I did. And this retreat is what got me back on track and helped me start the work to destroy many of the strongholds that I had created in my life over the past 20 years. And I've mentioned this before, but I'm gonna talk about it again. Let's talk about Crucible. Just if, uh, we're just a few months away from uh, Crucible that is in Virginia. It goes from November 3rd through the 5th. And I've mentioned this multiple times over the past few years because I believe in the work that is done here. I wouldn't encourage you to do something that one, I was unwilling to do, or two, didn't actually have an impact on me. You know, I don't, I don't care if you guys do church retreats on your own, but, but this one matters, right? And, and I know um, that some of you, you know, and you've come up to me over the past few months, you said, oh, we, I'd love to have a men's retreat. And I say, well, you should go to Crucible. And the thing is what these men want is they just want to get together and pretend that we're talking about real things, right? That's what the church does. Many of you have been a part of those men's groups. You do donuts and maybe a conversation, but it doesn't go anywhere. This is different. This is why we, we do this because this forces you to work on your soul. And in May, in the Game Changer series, I challenged men in this church to sign up, but I also challenged the men who have been to Crucible to staff the one coming up in November. And right now we have eight guys that have signed up to staff. Right? There's not gonna be a better time for you to go if you are on the fence about this. And so I just wanna encourage you, it is time to sign up. Now, what I don't want you to do is I don't want you to come up to me in the lobby and tell me that you want to sign up. Okay? Don't tell me in the lobby that you are going to sign up. If you want to talk to me in the lobby about this, come up to me and say, hey, I've signed up. 
okay? I'm tired of the wants and I'm tired of the I'm thinking about. But if you men are waging a war on your thoughts in your mind, which I know you are, you need to sign up for this weekend. It's scary, but you'll be okay. There'll be eight guys there from Collective to make sure that nothing terrible happens to you. This isn't just for the men though. Women, your retreat is called Liminal and it's from November 17th through the 19th. Essentially the same thing, it just has a different name. There are multiple women in this church who have already signed up to be a part of this, but ladies, for you as well, it is time. Same challenge as the men. Don't come up to me in the lobby and tell me that you're thinking about signing up. Don't come up to me in the lobby and tell me that you want to sign up, but you don't wanna put pressure on your husband to take care of the kids for a few days. Godly husbands will gladly carry the parental weight for a weekend so you can start dealing with the things that are destroying you. And really, if you come up to me and tell me that you can't go because your husband can't handle the kids, that's more reason for you to go. But this will help you continue to work on the voices and the pain and the lies that are crushing your life. I'm gonna keep pushing this over the next few weeks. Honestly, I'm gonna keep pushing this until Collective dies as a church because I believe so much in the work that they're doing there. Now to sign up, like DJ mentioned earlier, just open up the Church Center app, click on on coming up, and click on Crucible or Liminal. There is a financial cost, okay? It is a few hundred dollars, but if you can't afford it, you can come talk to me after service and we will pay to get you there. That's how much we believe in the work that you will do there. Over the past few years, there have been over 20 people from Collective who have been to one of these weekends, and every single one of those people will tell you that they came back better, right? Not perfect, not even healed, just more equipped to deal with the things that they are dealing with in their shadow and those lies in their life. And so I just encourage you, and you're gonna keep hearing me talk about it, that you should sign up. Now, as we go to close things out today, I do have some homework for you, Um, some things to wrestle with over the next week, because the thing is one Sunday will not solve these problems. You know, one Sunday will help you, you know, kind of get the wheel moving um, for you to deal with these lies that you are wrestling with. Um, But over the next week, I want you to wrestle with two things. The first one is this. Uh, I want to encourage you to name the biggest stronghold that is holding you back. You probably already know what it is. The moment you saw the phrase winning the war in your mind, you knew exactly what that lie was. What is the biggest mental stronghold that's holding you back? What is the lie that you believe that is crushing all the good things in your life? What is that lie that you think about over and over again? It's I'm not good enough or my past is too bad for God to use me, or I can't trust the people around me, or I'm always gonna battle with the way that I look, or I'm never gonna be good with money, or I'll never find that job that's fulfilling, or all of my relationships are always gonna break down because I only date psychos. That might be because you're on Tinder, but you know, (laughs) wrestle with that too. But what is the biggest mental stronghold that's holding you back? Because that negative thought that you keep bringing up every single day that you are choosing not to fight against is changing the chemical makeup in your brain. Every thought we have, every thought we have creates a neurochemical change in our body. When you think a positive thought, you get a surge of something called dopamine. Uh, It's kind of this like rewarding neurotransmitter. It makes you feel good. Every time your brain drops dopamine, uh, you kind of get this rush, this this positive feeling, this hope. Someone you respect says something encouraging to you, you get some dopamine. Someone compliments you on your shoe game, dopamine. You get that surprise text from that person saying, hey, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying about you. I came across this Bible verse and and I wanted to send this to you, dopamine. And what's so interesting uh, is that, uh, about all this is that the more often you think a thought, science tells us that it's easier to think that thought again. Because once you think a thought, you're actually creating a pathway in your brain. And the more we think about that thing, that lie, that truth, whatever it may be, it's easier to continue to think that thought over and over and over again. Before long, it ends up becoming our default. 
Right? Paul would say it becomes a stronghold. And so if you believe a lie for long enough, you will start to believe that that lie is true. Think about it like this. If I walked out my front yard and I walked across my lawn for 100 straight days, what would happen? I, I create a new path in my yard. And so in my mind, if for 100 straight days I tell myself a lie and I don't stop that lie from coming into my mind, I will start to believe it. And a new pathway will be created in my brain. And so what we have to do with God's help is we have to renew our minds. We have to fight to stay off the wrong path. And if we do that, eventually what happens with the grass, right, is the grass grows back. There's more resistance. It's not as easy to walk. And we forge a new pathway in our brain toward the truth. And that truth ultimately sets us free. And now, again, this is science, but it's also godly. God created science. So Paul says this in Romans 12, too. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to the wrong ways of thinking, but be transformed. How? By renewing our minds. We're staying off the destructive, off the negative paths, and we're creating new paths of truth. Now, the ultimate way that we are transformed is through putting our faith in Jesus. That's the, that's the ultimate way. There's nothing above that. It's letting him be our leader. It's letting him be our forgiver. It's letting him speak truth into our lives. Right? The way that we celebrate that at Collective is baptism. It's experiencing resurrection in our own lives, putting to death the old things, the old lies, the old stuff that we used to believe and being brought up in who Jesus wants us to be but you cannot change the way that you are thinking if you don't put Jesus into the center of your thoughts. It just doesn't work that way. And so if you want to identify the lie that's weighing you down, but more than anything, if you want to understand that the lie is coming from the enemy whose goal is to destroy you, you have to know that the truth comes from God who wants to give you life. And that life starts with resurrection. It starts with putting to death your old self and getting baptized. That has to be at the center. So you identify the biggest stronghold that's holding you back, just one, right? Some of you have a list of like 80 already. Don't do that. Just focus on one. So what is it for you? You might battle with identity. You might feel like you're just not lovable. You might wrongly believe that you'll never be good enough, that you, you might feel hopeless or, or helpless or worthless, like your whole life has no meaning. This week, identify that one stronghold and call it out because you cannot defeat what you don't define. Identify the stronghold. Now, once you do that, here's the next thing I want you to do. I want you to name the truth that demolishes the lie. Right? Name the truth that demolishes the stronghold. In John 8, 32, Jesus said this, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Right? The lie puts you into spiritual bondage, but the truth sets you free. And some of you are living a life impacted by a lie that you believe. And the only way that you can fight back is with truth. Going back to what Paul said earlier, God gives us the power to destroy these lives, these strongholds. And in verse five, he says, here's how we do it. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that set itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What Paul is ultimately saying is that we replace these lies with the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought we have and we turn it toward Jesus. Replace the lies with God's truth. And so this is really important. The truth is not our feelings. Our feelings cannot be trusted to be truth. The truth is not our desires. It's not what culture says is true. The truth is God's word. It's scripture. 
And if you try to replace the lies that you have in your life with self-help or one-liners from random Instagram influencers or word from other people, you will never be set free. This is why we encourage you so much to read the Bible. Right? If you want truth for your life, you have to go to the source. And Paul says, whatever that stronghold is that's holding you prisoner in your mind, the word of God will set you free. So what's your stronghold? What's the dominant lie that the enemy has tried to use to destroy your faith, to kill your relationships, to rob you of the intimacy that God wants you to have with him? For me, the lie that I've always battled is that I am never enough. This has been in my brain since I was a small child. I am never enough, right? And I always think I'll never preach a good enough sermon. I'll never be good enough to lead this church. If I give my best to the church, then I'll let down Ray and my girls. If I give my best to the girls, uh, then leading this church that God has entrusted me with, I'll fail that. You know, I can't live up to your expectations. I mean, I can't meet with everybody. I can't deliver. I can't get it all done. I am not enough. And the challenge with the lie that I struggle with is there's actually some truth in it, which makes it really easy for me to believe and go back to. Because of my sin and because of the limitations on me as a human being, there is a lot of me that will never be enough. But thankfully, I understand that I don't have to rely only on myself because there is a power greater than me that is absolutely and completely more. So right now, uh, I'm kind of on this trajectory and this pattern where I'm getting one tattoo every year. And as I get more tattoos, they're getting bigger. Um, they're getting more intense at some point. Not my face, probably everything else. Uh, but my first tattoo came when I was 18 years old. I went with my 16-year-old sister, because uh, my mom gave us permission to do this. And essentially, we went to a shack in the middle of Manassas, Virginia. If you know anything about Manassas, huge mistake, OK? Uh, just terrible decision. And like, being really honest with you on it, if you have multiple tattoos, you understand this. Uh, you're very honest about the, the work that you get done. Uh, this tattoo is awful. Uh, it's on my wrist. Uh, for some reason, I let the guy freehand it. And so it's kind of cursive, kind of not. Uh, it is spelled correctly. That's the good news. Um, it's now, at this point, uh, it's been a while, so it's all blurring together. Uh, it's easily my, my worst-looking tattoo, um, but I love it. And the reason I still love this tattoo is because it says Philippians 4.13, and that is the first Bible verse that I ever memorized after I started following Jesus. And, and the verse says this, it says, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Right? And it's this reminder that Jesus has given me the strength to do what he's called me to do. That when I am weak, he gives me strength. That the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living inside of me, and that through Jesus... I am enough. And so what's the lie that's holding you back? And what is the truth that will set you free? Maybe you think you aren't good enough and you'll never be good enough, but the truth is that God saw you as worthy enough to send his son to die for you. Maybe you feel like you're never going to be attractive enough or you don't like the way that you look, but the truth is that you are fearfully and wonderfully made by the grace of God. Maybe you feel like you don't matter but the truth is that God has given you gifts to make a difference in this world. Maybe you feel like you're always gonna be miserable or struggle with depression, but you understand the truth is that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Maybe you feel like you're always going to be alone. The truth is that God promised that no matter what, he will never leave you or abandon you. Maybe you feel like you're always a victim, but the truth is that God tells you that you are an overcomer. Maybe you feel like you don't like who you are, but the truth is you are who God says you are and he calls you lovable and good and a gift. 
Your life in so many ways is moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts, right? What comes to your mind comes out in your life and you cannot live a positive faith-filled life when you're full of negative fear-filled thoughts. And so we have to call out the lies and replace them with truth. And by the power of God, we don't have to stay locked in that prison, right? You will know the truth and the truth isn't just a concept. The truth is a person. His name is Jesus and he'll set you free. Let's pray. God, as we're, as we're sitting here today, as we drove here this morning, as we got our coffee, as we dropped off our kids, as we, as we found our seats, chances are every single person in this room was battling a lie that Satan is trying to plant in the middle of their thoughts. Lies telling them that they're not good enough. Lies telling them that they're too broken. Lies telling them that you will never love them. God, these things play over and over and over again in our head every moment of every day as we approach everything in our life. And God, as we wrestle with this topic, we know what it's like to fight a war with these lies in our mind. God, what we need right now is your truth. God, God not the truth from other people, not the truth that always falls short, but your truth that says that we are lovable, that we are good, that we can be made new, that we are not too broken or too lost, that we're not unforgivable, God, ultimately, that we are lovable people who you want what's best for. So God, help us to understand that there is a war going on with an enemy whose sole purpose is to destroy everything that we love. God, that you are here to give us all those good things. So God, this week, as as we wrestle with this, as we process this, um, God, ultimately, we we begin to call out these thoughts and these lies in our minds. God, we, we hope that you help us replace those with truth, right, your truth which we are so thankful for. God, help us understand that your truth will set us free and help us do the hard work to begin to fight these thoughts and these lies in our minds that have taken over and dictate everything that we do. Help us create new pathways. God, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.